Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Katie. Morning, everyone. Oh, you can do better than that. Morning, everyone. (laughs) So we're back in 1 Peter. Who remembers us being in 1 Peter before the summer came? Yeah? Uh, Five uh, preachers uh, in 1 Peter. It seems a long time ago, doesn't it? We've been through the wonderful world uh, in the summer, but we're back in 1 Peter. And we're diving deep into 1 Peter. And uh, as I uh, looked at this this week, I actually went and listened to the podcast again for the, for the first five of the series. So if you're new here or you haven't dipped into 1 Peter before, I'd really recommend that you go and listen to those again and you get a feel for this book um, as we go deep in it uh, together. Um, You can find those podcasts on the church website or on iTunes or on Spotify um, or wherever you get your podcasts um, from. But go and listen to them and go deep with us into the Word of God. So just a reminder of what 1 Peter was all about and the context in which it was uh, written. Uh, The people of God were in exile. Uh, They were facing opposition and persecution, and they were scattered across the Roman Empire. It was written by... Oh, come on. (laughs) It was written by... Between AD 64 and AD 68... And Nero is the Roman emperor before he started his coffee shop. Come on. And it was illegal to be a Christian. And the Christians were facing death. And in fact, Peter himself got killed by the Roman Empire after um, he had written this letter. And Peter's writing to the Christians scattered, facing opposition, and giving them encouragement and instruction on how to live, how to live as outsiders and in in an environment of growing persecution, how to live as outsiders with a living hope into an inheritance that will not fade and will not perish. Outsiders to be called to be part of a family, part of an oikos who through their lives together would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Outsiders who were called to a living stone, the cornerstone, Jesus himself who tells us that we are precious and chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And outsiders who were called to live differently, to avoid the temptations of either blending in or of lying low but rather to live distinctively and to live lives of doing good and influencing those around us. And then the last three um, uh, sermons that Simon preached uh, at the end of July uh, focused in on this key verse in chapter 2 and uh, verse 12. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And we looked at how we applied that in all of our relationships, in our relationships with the government, in the relationships in the workplace, and in our relationships in our homes and marriages. And in all of that, we saw how our attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. And we read in Philippians 2 something that sums up for me what Peter is saying to how we should live out our lives in the midst of this kind of environment. That in our relationships with one another, we might have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, literally emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Simon showed us how in this way of life as Christians living as outsiders in exile, facing opposition, that our lives need to be distinctive, outliers, influencing through our relationships and actions and our lives lived out in community together. And so now we land, and I'm grateful that Simon preached on wives and husbands, and I don't have to do that. We land on chapter 3 and verse 8. And here Peter starts to apply everything that we've learned so far to the church. All of you, he says in verse 8. All of you. So if you've ignored the stuff on government and workplace and marriage and home because you thought it was irrelevant to you, he says, wake up. This is for all of you now. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Live as brothers. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. All of you must live in harmony must be one great symphony of glorious harmonic sounds, speaking out life and hope and goodness as one, complementing one another with glorious tunes and harmonic counterpoints, allowing one another to shine at different parts in the melody whilst joining together in rousing choruses, each playing their part is another picture of the body of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians. Everyone contributing, everyone noticing if someone's missing, everyone delivering their unique sound, their signature sound. It's a beautiful picture, which I believe also includes telling people if they're singing out of tune. (laughs) All of you must live in harmony must be sympathetic and live as brothers, as if you were family because you are family, bearing one another's burdens, crying with those who are crying, cheering on those who are struggling, being there for those who need you, celebrating with those who are celebrating, enabling perseverance with those who are running a long, difficult race. We were never meant to do this alone, and God won't let us do it Alone, All of you, he says, must be compassionate and humble, preferring one another, having a sober view of ourselves, putting ourselves in others' shoes, choosing to think the best and hope the best and wish the best for those around us. And then some difficult verses. 
All of you should not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Here Peter mirrors the words of Jesus in Matthew five, thirty-eight to forty. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Go lower, says Peter. This is your calling to serve and not to be served, to bless and not to curse, to speak well of people even when they don't speak well of you. It's hard, isn't it? Or is it just me? It is hard, isn't it? These are demanding words, even with the promise that he gives of inheriting a blessing in verse 9. This seems impossibly hard. Harmony, compassion, loving as brothers, humility, blessing for insult, blessing for evil. How can we do this, even for a short while, even today, even tomorrow? And how can we possibly maintain it? Just when you think that's hard, he goes on to some even harder verses for us. Quotes from Psalm 34 in verses 10 to 12 here. And Peter says, if you want to love life and see good days, don't tell lies and keep your tongue from evil. Turn from evil, literally run from evil, depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Be the peacemakers in all your relationships, in the workplace, in your home, in your marriage, in your, with the government. Be peacemakers, seek peace, run after it, pursue it. These are hard sayings, hard in the easiest of times. But these Christians are facing persecution and suffering. And have every reason to want to say to Peter, hang on a minute, mate. (laughs) Have you no idea what we're facing here? Death, torture, intimidation, isolation. We're outsiders. How can we live a life like this? And what difference will it make if we do? Let's just leave that hanging for a moment. But we will return to it in a while because it's an important question to answer. Because Peter now turns to the issue of suffering. What should the believers expect in this environment? As they do good, as they seek to live out lives that are distinctive and different, should they expect suffering? And how should they respond if they do experience suffering because of their beliefs? In verse 13, turn to it if you've got your Bibles open. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Who's going to come against you if you are blessing instead of insulting, sympathizing instead of uh, sympathizing and compassionate, humble and harmonious? Surely no one's going to turn against you if that's your lifestyle. Everybody's going to be cheering you on. Who's going to come against you if you are seeking peace and speaking truth? He's already told them in chapter 2 and verse 21 To this you are called, that's suffering. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Again, this feels rather uncomfortable. Or again, is it only me? 
Because the conventional wisdom is A plus B equals C. Love God, do good, you'll be blessed. Love God, do good, and you will be blessed. He even says it here, doesn't he, really? Whoever would love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. Love God, do God, you'll do good, you'll receive blessing. We're not used to suffering for doing good. We expect everything to turn out well, for us to be comfortable in our society and nation. And then we're surprised when it doesn't. In fact, the A plus B equals C formula often leaves us reeling in the face of suffering and pain and questioning, where is God in all of this? Has he deserted us? Has he left us? Does he not care for us? Surely if I love God and do good, all will go well with me and my family and my kids and my work and my church. And this leaves us dipping our toe into suffering and then quickly withdrawing it. Like someone plunging into an ice pool, afraid to stay in too long in case you get frozen. The embracing of suffering and the joy of participating in it with Christ is so far from our reality. I remember 10 years ago traveling to Mozambique. Some of you have been to Mozambique with me. On this trip, we had 10 senior business leaders. And for 10 days, we took them into the rural parts of Mozambique. And we lived in the villages and we camped in the villages. And as you went into the villages, the women would come out and start singing at the top of their voices. And joy would be rising up from the whole of their beings. And they would be dancing and celebrating. And then as you got to know them, you found that they'd been up since four o'clock this morning, walking 10 miles to go and get dirty water to give to their kids, that their husband had died from HIV and AIDS, that they were looking after children who were orphaned, that actually their own children were malnutritioned and they didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. And then we would sit at the end of those 10 days in a group and share our experiences of what we'd seen in these villages. And I vividly remember one 21-year-old girl who had been working with Samaritan's Purse in that environment for a year. And she was the daughter of an American senator. And she sat there and she reflected on what would happen, had happened. And she said, why is it that I've had to come to Mozambique to see the depth of joy in people's lives and experience that for the first time in the midst of suffering and pain? Why is it that I didn't experience that joy growing up with all the richness of my education and with all the favor that I had in my family and the ability to live in Washington, D.C. and to work with uh, senators and politicians? Why did I not experience the joy that these women are experiencing in the midst of suffering and pain? You see, the true message of Peter and of the whole of the gospel is this. A plus B equals C plus D. Love God, do good, and there will be blessing. There will be the blessing of coming to know Christ in a deeper way. There will be the blessing of an inheritance that will never fade or perish. But there will also be suffering and pain. 
But that suffering and pain in a remarkable way brings a greater level of joy. Kay Warren, who's the wife of Rick Warren, who wrote Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven Life and Purpose Driven several other things as well. Kay talks about the fact that she used to think of the Christian life as as mountaintops and valleys, mountaintops and valleys, mountaintops and valleys. And then she came to realize that actually blessing and suffering go hand in hand, that they're like a twin railway track running parallel with one another, that life is messy, that there is blessing every day, but there's suffering every day as well. And in the wisdom of God, he's designed it like that so that we might know him more and be pushed more into his presence. I love uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 12, and he explains it to them like this in this context. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There's a warning here in this passage not to seek suffering through doing bad things. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a meddler. You know, there are far too many people, I think, who say, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian, who are actually suffering because they're annoying. (laughs) Don't be one of them. But there is a posture here that we need to take that when we suffer for what is right, we are blessed. And we praise God that we bear the name of Jesus. Because actually the word for blessing here is one that actually says you are privileged. You are privileged to suffer for the name of Jesus. You are blessed to suffer for the name of Jesus. With all of that in mind, just turn to the person next to you and just for a couple of minutes, answer this question. If you were asked to tell a group of new believers what to expect in the Christian life, what are some of the things you would tell them from this book? Two minutes. Go. We had a comment from down here that it would be good luck, (laughs) which is great. But it's important to think about, isn't it, as we explain the gospel, as we explain the hope that we have within us, that we actually explain to people that there is blessing and there is suffering. 
There is hope and there is joy, um, but there is also, also pain. So what does Peter give to these believers as encouragement? Because by now, you guys want some encouragement, okay? Because we've ta- dealt with some difficult stuff. So what encouragements does Peter give them in these passages? We've seen that he's instructed them to live godly lives and to do difficult things like bless when they're insulted and speak truth and pursue peace. And we've seen that he's instructed them to expect suffering for doing good. So here is the encouragements and his instructions. In verse 12, he says, God's focus is on you. In all of this, God's eyes are on you. His eyes and his focus are on you. And it's a gaze of love. And it's a gaze of protection. And it's a gaze of understanding. And it's a gaze of compassion. And it's a gaze that we saw in chapter 2 earlier in the series that reminds us that we are precious and that we are chosen. So yes, there is blessing and yes, there is suffering, but God's eyes are on you. Elsewhere in scripture, it says that God's eyes range across the world looking for those who fear him, looking for the righteous. And God's eyes are on you, not in a negative way, but in a way that says you are loved that you are cared for, that he has compassion for you, that he looks out for you. And secondly, the encouragement is God's listening to you. Not only are God's eyes on you, his ears are attentive to your cry. He is listening to your groans and your cries that are not unheard. Your prayers are touching the Father's heart. He hears your mumbles and your whispers in the middle of the night. And he strengthens you in the midst of trouble and suffering. And thirdly, he says, set aside a special place in your heart for Christ as Lord. But in your hearts, verse 15, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. This is a vitally important verse in this, in this chapter. You see, in chapter 1 of, of Peter, the call is for us to be holy, for us to be holy, for us to be set apart as holy. And it's a call to be holy because the one who called you is holy. The one who called you is set apart. The one who called you is entirely different, unique. He is the special one. He is like no other. He is the creator of all things and over all things and in all things and before all things and after all things. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the rescuer. He is the savior. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the resurrected one. He is Lord. He is rabbi. He is teacher. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the author of salvation, the prince of peace, the Lord of lords, the mighty one. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus. He is my friend. He is my love. He is the apple of my eye. But now Peter goes further and calls us to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. To give him the special place. To give him the unique place. The elevated place in control of our lives. And this is the deeper journey that God calls us to. It's not something God 
does for us in spite of ourselves. It's not something that the Holy Spirit irresistibly does and forces us to do against our own intentions. It's not an accident. It's an act of our will. We make the decision to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts or not. And it's a daily act, a daily decision. It's a moment-by-moment act, a moment-by-moment decision. It's an act of daily consecration, of giving over and surrendering. And it's a joy, and it's a privilege, and it's a lifelong journey. And it's different in times of joy and celebration to times of grief and suffering. And it's different in times of waiting and times of activity And it's enriched by all the experiences of the human condition. Over the last three years, Heather and I have had the privilege uh, and the joy of holiday in in Canada. And the first year we went uh, into beautiful lakes and mountains, I wanted God to answer the question for me as to what the rest of my life looked like. And graciously, he gave me a vision for the business that has now been birthed. And this year as we went back, I had my questions for God. I had them all written out. I wanted to know exactly what was coming over the next two years. I wanted to know what we should be doing, where we should be going, how we should be acting, how we should be responding to the issues that had built up over the previous year. First day, I'm on a kayak in the middle of a lake. It's an inflatable kayak. In the middle of a lake, rowing. And I'm saying to God, I'm starting to list all my questions out, okay? Number one, should we just be UK or should we go international? And God said to me, Simon, we can go so much deeper and so much further if you just put your questions to one side and you let me deal with your heart. If you just let me deal with your heart, all those questions will fall into place. If you just go deeper, if you just spend the time just listening to me, hearing my voice, going deeper with me, we can go so much further. Put your agenda to one side. Would you just go deeper today? Would you just go deeper today? Because the truth is, that Jesus wants more intimacy with us. He wants us to be more in love with him, more aligned with him, more closely engaged. And this joy that comes from setting apart Christ in your heart. So Peter tells us what happens when we set apart Christ in our hearts. Firstly, it brings fearlessness and peace. What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? Where might you need to be taking a stand and be daring to live differently in the culture and the world? Peter says, do not be afraid of what they are afraid of. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of insults. Do not be afraid of evil. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid of losing control. Don't fear the truth. Don't fear man or woman. Rather, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, and you will find a lack of fear and peace that floods the whole of your being. Secondly, he says, as you set apart Christ in your heart, you will be ready. 
You'll be ready to give an answer when anyone asks you for the hope that is within you. You see, harmony, sympathy, compassion, humility, peace, truth and doing good are contagious. They bring hope and they will cause people to ask you, how can you do that? How can you bless people who insult you? How can you do good to those who are doing evil against you? How can you bless those that insult you only because you've set apart Christ as Lord? How can you speak well of those who do evil against you only because you have the power of Christ in you? How can you continually demonstrate humility and compassion in the face of suffering only because the power of the Holy Spirit is working deeply in you? You can go lower because you've gone deeper. You can go lower because you've gone deeper deeper. And setting apart Christ in your heart brings, gent- well, brings hope. Author Jim Packer helpfully defined evangelism as Christians being Christian in the world. It's a nice summary, isn't it? Christians being Christian in the world. We'll come on to the words we say in a moment. But from the outset, it's important to remember that following Jesus doesn't mean that our existence is only validated when we've crowbarred the gospel into every conversation. Rather, it means that if Jesus is your ultimate treasure, and if you set him apart as Lord, and he's transforming your life, then you'll always be communicating the gospel, in words and in deeds, through your spoken and your unspoken actions. You'll always be the bringers of hope which might mean not flaring up when someone cuts in on you on the motorway, not holding a grudge when you're repeatedly let down, not needing to have the last word in a discussion, not being afraid of the difficult conversations, pushing into a relationship when it's at its lowest point. If you've lived that way in the view of your non-Christian friends, then I assure you that it won't go unnoticed. I guess what I'm saying is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12 again, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. But sometimes just living out your life in a good way is not enough. The story is told of a student who went into a hall of residence in her first year. Her name was Julie. Not this Julie, different Julie. (coughs) Her name was Julie. And she was determined that in the living out of her good life in this hostile environment, in a hall of residence, that other people would see that she was a Christian and that she had faith. And so she would come down and eat her meals, and this went on for months, and she would do good, and she would be compassionate, and she would be caring, and she'd be looking out for the people around her. And one morning, she came down to breakfast, and she was sitting there at breakfast, and the guy opposite her looked her in the face and said, Julie... I've been observing you for the last three months, ever since I got to know you, and there's something different about you. She thought, oh, great. This is my opportunity. She said, you're a vegetarian, aren't you? (laughs) Sometimes just living out a good life isn't enough, and it needs us to bring gentleness 
and reverence in sharing the truth. We're not called to shout at people from a distance. We're not called to insult people with the truth, but to share the hope we have in us with gentleness and respect. This means treating people as people, not as projects. It means valuing everyone as made in the image of God. It means sticking in there for the long term, even when there seems to be no change. It means loving consistently. It means being ready to give a defense in words for our faith. Only through the power of Christ in us is this possible. Only by going deeper so that we can go lower. Who's asked you to give a reason for the hope in you recently? And how did you respond? You see, Jesus' invitation to you today is to go deeper so that you can go lower. There's a wonderful book called Hind's Feet on Hind Places. Anyone read Hind's Feet on High Places? I read it first time 30 years ago when I was a student. I didn't half appreciate the truth in it when I read it 30 years ago. Uh, three years ago, I started reading it again and have committed to reading it every year. It's so powerful. It's an allegory. It's an allegory of Much Afraid. Much Afraid is a girl um, who lives in the Valley of, of Despair. And much afraid has, uh, is deformed on her face and on her legs. And um, she is surrounded by people who are cruel to her and horrible to her. And then one day she meets the shepherd. She meets Jesus. And, and, and the shepherd takes her on her journey. And he takes her on a journey where actually her feet are restored and become like hind's feet. Hind's feet that can climb the mountains of God's love. And she falls deeply in love with the shepherd and her heart is restored and her heart blossoms and blooms and she sets Christ apart in her heart and she delights in him and she travels with him and she falls more deeply in love with Jesus. And there's a passage in that book where the shepherd and much afraid come to a waterfall. And I'm just going to read a little bit of that book now. The shepherd smiled again and they stood silently for a few moments by the little torrent of the waterfall which seemed to shout even more loudly and exultantly, as though it knew that they had paused to listen. Suddenly, as much afraid, stood beside the shepherd. It seemed as though her ears and her understanding were open, and bit by bit the water language became clear. It is, of course, impossible to write in water language, but this is the best that I can do to translate it. Of course, it is very poor effort, for though a water song perhaps may be set to music, words are quite a different matter. But it went something like this. Come, O come, let us away. Lower, lower every day. Oh, what joy it is to race down to find the lowest place. This is the dearest law we know. It is happy to go low. Sweetish urge and sweetest will, let us go down lower still. Hear the summons night and day, calling us to come away. From the heights we leap and flow, to the valleys down below. Always answering to the call, to the lowest place of all. Sweetest urge and sweetest pain, to go low and rise again. There is very puzzling, said Much Afraid, 
after she had listened for a little and found that this was the refrain repeated over and over again, though with a thousand variations of little trills and murmurs and bubbling and splashing sighs. Let us go down lower still. The water seems to be singing so gladly because it is hurrying to go down to the lowest place. And yet you are calling me to the highest places. What does it mean? The high places, answered the shepherd, are the starting places for the journey down to the lowest places in the world. When you have hinds feet, you can go leaping on the mountains and skipping on the hills. You will be able, as I am, to run down from the heights in gladdest self-giving and then go up to the mountains again. You will be able to mount to the high places swifter than eagles, for it is only up on the high places of love that anyone can receive the power to pour themselves down in an utter abandonment of self-giving. What might going deeper look like for you in setting Christ apart as Lord? Maybe it involve a deeper prayer life, digging into the scripture more, giving up control of an area of your life. And what might going lower look like for you in serving others? Which relationships might you need to go lower in? Where might you need to forgive rather than seeking control? Who's insulted you? Who you might need to bless? But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement to push into you to seek your heart, to run after you. Thank you that there are untold riches of the depth of relationship with you that we're yet to know. Thank you that you take us up on the high places and then send us down to the lowest places in self-giving love. Because that's and we praise you that we bear the name of Jesus. As Simon was uh, talking, I think uh, I was asking God how to respond. And um, he said there's two groups of um, people who he just wants to meet with this morning. Um, one of those groups is uh, if you just feel like you're suffering at the moment, you just feel like uh, m- maybe the way that you are a Christian in in your life has brought suffering maybe it's just that because you're of the way that you are a christian you've just sort of stuck your head above the parapet and and, and an active christian is is a danger a dangerous christian in the enemy's eyes and the enemy just likes to just to throw what they can at you to try and stop you and to try and pull you down a little bit and sometimes, you know, you can feel like you're, you, you, you can't take any more. You've just been beaten and beaten and beaten. And sometimes you feel like, you know what, I'm just, just, just feeling just that niggle. If, if, that's, if that's you, God wants to meet with you this morning. Just to say, even if you sort of know it in your heart or know it in your head, just be like, yeah, I'm still here. There's still blessings. I've still got you. You don't need to worry. And also feel that the second group of people are those who 
feel like they just want to get deeper into God, even if they know that that suffering will will come because of that. Because they're sticking their head above the parapet. And maybe that's just in, in as Simon was saying, how like just be like, yeah, I want to read my Bible more, I want to pray more. Maybe it's like, I want to be active a little bit more in the way I speak out about Christ. Maybe it's I want to change the way I act in these situations. But just be like, yeah, that's me this morning. That's I want to get deeper. Even though I know because of that suffering will come. So if either of those two groups, I just want you just to be brave and just stand now. If you feel like you've just been niggled out or you're just starting to real suffer at the moment. Or if you feel like, yeah, that's me. I want to get deeper into God. I want to do more. I want to be more alive in Christ, knowing that because of that suffering will come. And just stand as you are. And we're just going to wait on God for a second. And actually, someone's standing near you. Just can you just go and pray with them? Just put your hand on them. No one's going to like ask any deep questions about what it is. But just yeah, we're a family here. If someone's standing near you, just just someone, just yeah, place your hand on them. This is how we work as family. I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit, just more of you, just be with these people this morning. Would you just flood your place with this presence? What we're going to do next, if um, if you're praying with someone, keep praying with them. We're just going to uh, sing a song of worship. If you are praying with someone and you you feel like God's telling you a word, then then share it. You know when it's appropriate. Just keep praying in that place. Keep an eye on someone. If you feel like there, we're done praying. God's done all he needs to do. That's great and brilliant.